Section 50 of the Letters of Madame de Savigny to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. A Bride Madame de Coulanges informs me that the new Madame de Lafayette was reclined upon a magnificent bed in a noble house. The room hung with beautiful tapestry belonging to the Keeper of the Seals. The bed decorated with an ancient mantle of the order, and the room hung with fine tapestry having the arms ornamented with the staves of the Marshal of France and the collar of the order, looking-glasses, chandeliers, glass plates and crystals, according to the present fashion, out of number. A great many servants and valet de chambre in livery, the bride in an elegant dress. In short, such taste reigns in the house of the new married couple and in their family that our Madame de Lafayette ought to be perfectly satisfied at her son's having formed so great and honourable an alliance. Bleeding You tell me you have found it necessary to be bled. The trembling hand of your young surgeon makes me tremble. The prince said one day to a new surgeon, Does not the idea of a bleeding me make you tremble? Faith, sir, replied the man, your highness has most reason to tremble. He was in the right. Company I have for a long time adopted your opinion that bad company is preferable to good. How dismal it is to part with the good, and what a pleasure it is to be rid of the bad. Do you remember how we were tormented at Trenal, and how overjoyed we were when the company thought it proper to take their leave? I think we may then establish it as a maxim that nothing is more desirable than bad company, and nothing more to be dreaded than good. Let whoever is puzzled with this enigma call upon us for the solution of it. Quarrels in High Life I think I mentioned to you the quarrel between the Duc de Ventadour and the Duc d'Aumont. The latter was returning from Bourbon with his wife and the Duchess de Ventadour and the Chevalier de Thiadet. The Duc de Ventador was at an estate he has in the same county called La Motte. He had desired his wife to come to him there and sent at the same time to invite the whole company, but was refused. He then came himself, but was ill-received, because, following the company about from dinner-time till bedtime, his conversation was mixed continually with menaces and reproaches. In short, he was like Don Quixote, pistol in hand, threatening and challenging the gentleman. The Chevalier treated him as a person fit only for bedlam. At length, the ladies arrived in great fear at Paris, where the king, being informed of what had happened, sent a guard to take care of Madame Ventador, so that she is now under the protection of His Majesty. What think you the monster did? He went to the king, attended by his neighbours, that is, 
the princes de Condé, de Conti, Messieurs de Luxembourg, Duras, Schomberg, Belfon, and with incredible assurance, told the king that the Chevalier de Tiladet had not paid him the respect due to his rank. Mark the expression. He places the dukedom where it was formerly. Sire, said he, I want to know why I am refused the company of my wife. What has happened to my person of late? Am I uglier or more ill-made than formerly, when I was as much courted as I am now avoided? If I am ugly, sire, is it my fault? Had I been my own maker, I would have been like your majesty. But these are things that are not in our own disposal. In short, partly owing to this natural and proper, and at the same time unexpected flattery, and partly to the justice of his argument, the king was pleased with him, as well as the whole court. However, they are to be separated. The difficulty is that he insists that his wife shall be shut up at a convent, which is a sad affair. Monsieur de la Rochefoucauld is employed to accommodate this business and settle matters between the gentlemen. Extravagance of Monsieur de Sévigné I have been ready to weep to see the desolation of this estate. There were the finest trees in the world upon it, and my son in his last journey gave the finishing stroke to the last. He would even have sold a little copse which was the greatest ornament of the place. Is not this lamentable? He scraped together four hundred pistols by this plunder, of which he had not a single penny left in a month. It is impossible to think with patience how he acts and what his Brittany journey cost him, withstanding he discharged his coachman and footman at Paris and took nobody but Larmachin with him. He's found out the art of spending an immense deal of money without making any show for it, of losing without playing, and of paying without discharging his debts. War or peace, he is forever crying out for money. In short, he is a perpetual drain, and what he does with his money I cannot conceive, for he appears to have no particular passion. I really think his hand is a crucible which melts money the instant it is put into it. My son writes me word that he is going to play a reversi with his young master. Footnote the Dauphin, back to main text. This makes my blood run cold within me. Two, three or four hundred pistols are lost before we can look around us. Quote, this is nothing for Amitus, but a great deal for him. End quote. If people, before they play, would think that they may possibly lose a great deal and that debts of honour must be paid immediately, 
they would not be so ready to engage in such parties. But the misfortune is that everyone thinks he shall win, and this leads him on to destruction. If Donjo is one of the party, he will carry off everything, for he is a perfect hobby at play. However, it will all turn out as it shall please God. And so it will be with the six thousand francs which I expected to receive from Nantes and which a demon has interfered with in the shape of a point of law that throws us as far back as ever. Gaming They play extravagantly high at Versailles. The hocker, footnote a game at cards, back to main text, is forbidden at Paris under pain of death, and yet it is played at court. Five or six thousand pistols of a morning is nothing to lose. This is no better than picking of pockets. I beseech you to banish this game from among you. The other day the Queen missed going to Mass and lost twenty thousand crowns in one morning. The king said to her, Let us calculate, madam, how much this is in a year. And Monsieur de Montalsier asked her the next day if she intended staying away from Mass for the Hawker again, upon which she was in a great passion. I've heard these stories from persons who've come from Versailles and who collect them for me. But now, about this Brelon, Footnote a game at cards, back to main text. What folly is it to lose so much money at such a rascally game? It has been banished from us for a downright cutthroat. We do things in a more serious manner. You play against all chance. You lose forever. Take my advice and do not continue it. Consider it is throwing money away without having any amusement for it. On the contrary, you have paid 5,000 or 6,000 francs to be the mere dupe of fortune. But I'm rather too warm, my dear. I must say with Tartuche, tis through excess of zeal. I will tell you, my dear child, a thought that has occurred to me on the frequent losses you and Monsieur de Grignon sustain at cards. I would have you both be cautious. It is not pleasant to be made a dupe of, and be assured that it is not natural to be perpetually the winner or the loser. It is not long since I was led into the tricks of the Hôtel de Vieux-Ville, you remember, I suppose, how our pockets were picked there. You are not to imagine everybody plays as fairly as you do yourself. The concern I have for your interest makes me say so much, as it comes from a heart entirely devoted to you. I'm persuaded you will not be displeased at it. Providence You say... You never mention providence, but when you have a disorder on your lungs, whereas that subject always exhausts mine, 
for I find none that furnishes so large a field for discussion, observation and inquiry. And why may we not discourse as well on this as on natural philosophy? Why did you still say, as you did last year, that our fears, our reasonings, our decisions, our wills, our desires, are only so many means employed by God for the execution of his purposes? Is this not an inexhaustible subject, fraught with the most entertaining variety? Believe me, there is no experiment in natural philosophy more interesting than the investigation of the connection and diversity of our several sentiments. So that you see, it is God's will may be paraphrased in a thousand different ways. Free will. I have no other answer to make you upon what St. Augustine says except that I hear and understand him when he tells me, and repeats to me five hundred times in the same book, that all things depend, as the Apostle says, quote, not on him that willeth, nor on him that runneth, but on God, that showeth mercy to whom it pleaseth him. That it is not for any merit in man that God bestows his grace, but according to his own good pleasure. That man may not glory in his own strength, seeing he receives all things from God. End quote. His whole book is in this strain, filled with passages from Scripture, the writings of the Apostle Paul, and the homilies of the Church. He calls our free will a deliverance and an aptitude to love God because we're no longer under the dominion of the devil and are chosen from all eternity according to the decrees of the Almighty before all ages. When I read in this book the following passage, quote, How could God call men to judgment if they were not free agents? Unquote. I confess I am at a loss to understand it, and am disposed to think it a mystery. But as free will cannot put our salvation in our own power, and as we must always be dependent on God, I have no desire to understand it better, and will endeavour as much as possible to remain in a state of humility and dependence. Devices as for devices, my dear child, my poor brain is in a very bad condition for thinking of any, much less for inventing them. However, as there are twelve hours in the day and about fifty in the night, my memory has furnished me with a rocket raised to a great height in the air with these words. Che peri purche sinalsi. Footnote, let it perish, so it be exalted. Fact main text. I'm afraid I've seen this somewhere in the late tournaments, though I cannot exactly say where or when, for I think it too pretty to be my own. I remember also having seen in some book a rocket on the subject of a lover who'd been bold enough to declare himself to his mistress with these words, 
da l'adore l'ardire. Put note, my boldness arises from my ardour, back to main text, which is pretty, but does not apply in this instance. I'm not quite sure whether the first I have mentioned is in strict conformity to the rules of devices, for I do not perfectly understand them. All I know is that it pleased me, and whether it was in a tournament or on a seal is a matter of no great importance. It is scarcely possible to invent new ones for every occasion. You've heard me a thousand times repeat that part of a line in Tasso, L'alte non temo, I rise without fear. Back to main text. I used to repeat this so often that the Count de Chapelle had a seal engraved with an eagle flying toward the sun and l'alte non temo for the motto. A very happy device. Monsieur de Montmorin came hither post. Among other things, we were talking about devices. He assures me he does not remember to have seen anywhere the one I proposed. He knew the one with these words, da l'adore la dire, but that is not the thing. The other, he says, is much more complete. Che peri purche sinalzi, and whether it is my own or borrowed, he thinks it excellent. I have seen a device which suits me exactly. It is a leafless tree, apparently dead, with this inscription round it, Finche sol ritorni, footnote, till the sun returns, back to main text. What think you of it, my child? The use of reason. I am still alone, my dear child, without being dull. My health is good. I have plenty of books, work, and fine weather. These, with a little reason, go a great way. Pecuniary embarrassments. You ask why I am not with you. Alas, I could easily answer you if I were inclined to debase my letter with a detail of the reasons that obliged me to quit you, of the misery of this country, the sums that are owing me here, the delays in the payment of them, what I owe elsewhere, and the ruin my affairs must have sustained had I not taken this resolution in time. You well know that I put it off for two years with pleasure. But there are extremes, my dear child, in which we should destroy everything in attempting to wrestle with necessity. The property I possess is no longer my own. I must preserve the same honour and the same probity I have all my life professed. This, this, my child, is the cruel cause that tears me from you. And is this a subject to entertain you with? An obstinate son. In regard to my son, I find I have courage enough to tell him my sentiments without disguise. I wrote him a letter which I think unanswerable, but the more I enforce my reasons, 
the more he urges his arguments, and he appears so determined that I now perfectly understand what is meant by an unconquerable wish. There is a degree of ardour in the desire which animates him that no prudence can withstand. I cannot accuse myself of having preferred my own interest to his. I wish for nothing but to see him walk in the path I have traced out for him. He is wrong in all his arguments and far beside the mark. I have endeavoured to set him right by incontestable arguments corroborated by the opinion of all our friends and ask him if he has not some doubts seeing he is alone in an opinion which everyone else disapproves he answers me always by an obstinate perseverance so that i am reduced to the last expedient that of keeping him from making a rash or injurious bargain a forgiving mother as i was returning from my walk yesterday i met the poor frater footnote her son back to main text at the end of the mall who immediately fell upon his knees so conscious of having done wrong in having been three weeks underground singing matins that he thought he dared not approach me otherwise I had resolved to scold him heartily, but I was so glad to see him that I could not find an angry word to use. You know how entertaining he is. He embraced me a thousand times and gave me the worst reasons in the world, which, however, I received as sterling. We chat, we read, we walk, and we wear away the year, or rather what is left of it, love its symptoms you want to know the symptoms of this love of which i spoke to you the other day imprimis to be the first on all occasions to deny it to affect an air of great indifference which is a sure mark of the contrary the opinion of those who can judge from being near the public voice, the entire suspension of all motion in the globular machine, a neglect of ordinary concerns to attend to a single one, a continual satirising old people who were so foolish as to be in love. Such nonsense. They must be idiots. Fools. And with a young woman, too. Very pretty indeed. It will become me mighty well. I had rather break both my arms and legs. And then we make answer internally. Indeed, what you say is very true. But for all that, you are in love. You tell us all these fine things. Your reflections are doubtless very just, very true, very tormenting. But for all that, you are in love. Reason is on your side. But love is stronger than reason. At the same time, you are sick. You weep. You are out of humour. And you are in love. End of section 50